0: All right, very good. Well, a couple uh, things as we're getting started this morning. I just want to, in the back of the bulletin, there is an info about an Advent devotional that is um, available for you. And we have them in the um, Welcome Center uh, to purchase if you'd like. um, And want to just make sure, and I also just want to thank all of those that were involved in decorating this space that we have here. It looks beautiful. I appreciate you um, making it look cheerful for us. All right, this morning I want to introduce to you the concept of Advent and then also explain the significance of the Lord's table uh, and the similar roles they play in the rhythms that we would have as Christians and in the life of our church. And so I want to invite you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to look there as well as in chapter 11. and um, uh, what w- our plan is, Lord willing, is we're going to talk about this Advent and communion today, and then we're going to walk through the first couple chapters of Luke um, in um, uh, the next three weeks, and then it back in January we'll be back in the book of Acts. That's, so that's where we're at, where we're going. And uh, we just talked about the Reformation in October, and uh, this is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and Luther's practice, uh, always in the month of December, was to preach verse by verse through the first couple chapters of either Matthew or Luke. And I thought, well, you know what? There are worst examples to follow. And so we're going to go through Luke uh, early on here the next three weeks. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14... And we'll we'll look at those later on and uh, appreciate we've looked into the word about this annunciation to uh, Elizabeth that she was going to have a son, John, who would be the forebearer of the Messiah. And so we're there. Um, But first Corinthians chapter 10. Now in 1 Corinthians, it has been ta- he's been talking about this church that's gone wild and they've had to deal with uh, idolatry. And in chapter 8, the food sacrificed to idols, whether it was okay to eat or not to eat that. And then how they would surrender their rights. Just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean you need to and you need to be willing to not do that. And this warning against this idolatry as we come into chapter 10. Um, and then, of course, in that context is when that famous passage, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God, but in that is talking about this cup and the remembrance of the way we remember the Lord. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to begin reading in verse 14. God's word says this Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we drink, break, Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We, many, are one body, for we all partake in one bread. Consider the people of Israel, and not those that eat the sacrifices of participants of the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than than He? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, good, but but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in in the meat market without raising a question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone say to you, this has been offered offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything, I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. And then I ask you to go to chapter 11, verse 22. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord... What I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink the, the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Father, would you help us now? Help us to understand this, these truths and what is so important as we approach the Lord's table. We pray this and ask for your help, Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is December. And is it? Christmas time, Advent time, holiday season, December. Isn't this just a crazy time of year? It's just cr- a crazy. What are you? It, it's so confusing. I know. I i'm going into ministry and pastoring. It's like, what are you supposed to do during this time? What? What do what you? I mean, it's it's confusing. What, what are you supposed to be thinking? What are you supposed to be doing? What well, when are you supposed to do what? When are you supposed to put this up and when are you, supposed to, you, know, you know should should we even celebrate it at all? I mean we just talked about the reformation, sola scriptura. I mean, I didn't find Christmas in the Bible. I mean, Jesus coming, with that's in the Bible, but celebrating Christmas, that's not there. Are we are we I mean, aren't there some pagan origins or something like this? And and this confusion is everywhere. Even in even in the music we listen to, right? Um you know, I, I, I'll listen to, like, find these playlists, whether that's on Spotify or Apple Music, the uh, Christmas Essentials, and just hit shuffle, and it's so confusing, because one minute, I mean, you, you, and we do the same thing, we're saying, O Come, oh Come, Emmanuel, or Joy to the World, and then you go out in the car, and you hit play, and it's Santa Baby, you know, or, um, you know, or, or it's, it's the little drummer boy, and then a hymn, and something about winter, and um and then and then mama kissing santa claus and then you know there was that great marketing stunt for montgomery wards the rudolph the red-nosed reindeer and you're singing about rudolph or uh, and and then if you don't like that then there's the song for you the grinch you know you're a mean one and it's like how what that have to do with anything with with christmas right and and then there's the sentimental ones you know like um christmas shoes you know and you know, then you start crying on that one, you know, and, and, uh, and, um, or, um, you know, or, or you have the West Virginia connection that we have with this in Frosty the Snowman, you know, the man that wrote Frosty was from Kaiser, West Virginia. And so, I mean, so we have all these different things and there's, and there's probably a lot of different opinions in this room about Christmas, right? Um, and th- there's, uh, there's, we, it's, we can have some fun with it, right? In fact, we're going to have a little bit of fun with this. How many of you, Someone with you, they are Buddy the Elf. I mean, they are Buddy the Elf, and that's they just love it and they're listening to it all the time. Okay, got someone. Uh, how many of you are sitting next to someone who is like the Scrooge or Grinch? And Jamie, don't point up here. Okay, all right. So, um so all right. How about this? When does the holiday season start? When are we supposed to do that? Okay. How about this? When is it okay? to listen to Christmas music. How many of you say as soon as Thanksgiving's over? Okay? How many of you are like there's always a good time to listen to Christmas music. Okay? July, August. How many of you are like not until December 1st. There's no Christmas music. How many of you are not until the week of Christmas? Okay? How just Christmas day. Anyone, you know? Um when is it okay to put up Christmas decorations? How many of you say as soon as Halloween's over, Christmas decorations going up? Anyone? Anyway, okay, we got some. How many of you day after Thanksgiving? That's when Christmas decorations go up. How many of you think that's too soon? All right. How many of you are like, not until December first? Christmas decorations don't go up until how I wait until the Clarksburg Christmas parade, right? Okay, and uh, or a uh, light up night or whatever. Um, uh how many of you just say, hey, you know, I have it easy. I just didn't take the lights down from last year. They're still up, you know. Okay, they're, they're good to go. Um, hey, we're supposed to confess before one another, right? Um, all right, how many of you have an opinion about when stores should be allowed to put stuff out? How many think stores should just put the stuff out as soon as Halloween's over? How many of you are like, before Halloween's too early, they shouldn't put it out? How about after Thanksgiving? Okay, they can put it out then? Okay. I remember when I did marketing for the bookstore down in Greenville. It was like so confusing. Like, what do you do? I don't want to like make it bad, but at the same time, I don't want to miss out on sales. And so you're kind of, uh, what do you what do you do with that? Um, some people, are, they, it just seems like Labor Day, and boom, Christmas stuffs out, right? You know, and um, at, it's it's confusing, right? What do you do with this? There's so many different messages, and what's important, and what makes a good dad, and what parents are supposed to do, and do you do Santa? Do you not do Santa? Do you do Elf on the Shelf? Do you not do Elf on the Shelf? Do you do this? Do you not do that? I mean, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, what makes it good? At the same time, when it comes to our Christian life, we are bombarded with a thousand different messages every day that are equally confusing. And and we get these all the time, but especially this time of year. We're receiving hundreds of messages every day. In fact, you probably receive at least 50-some signals this morning on your way to come worship between media and marketing and friends and peers and social media things about your own identity messages about like and it's confusing well, what what looks good what outfit looks good and, and what and what does that what does that look like or um what does success look like and what does a good parent look like or What's your identity? You know, because you're, you're receiving messages all the time that you are what you look like, or you are what you've done, what you've accomplished in life, or what you, that happened, or you are how your kids turned out, or you are what you wear, or you are what you drive. I mean, I would never be seen driving one of those. A minivan? I mean, come on, you know? I would never be seen driving a Ford, or, or whatever it is, or whatever your, your, your affinity is. Or you are where you go. I mean, you know where we vacation, we go to Watersmith, you know, I mean, big time, you know, or we go here, or we've been here. Have you ever been here? Or, you know, you really ought to go here. It's just the best or, or whatever. Um, or you are what you do. You are maybe that for work or what you do for fun or what you do for a hobby or what you, um, or whatever it is. Or maybe we have this identity and we're receiving all these messages that you are what you have. Do you have this toy or this gadget or this um, gaming station or this type of computer or this phone or this? And really, if you really made it, you're going to have iPhone X, right? You, 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 that, that's, that's who you are. And you're, we receive these messages all the time this morning. So between Christmas with all these things what are we supposed to do when's this and between the messages we're receiving all the time but especially this time of the year we need a reminder of what we're supposed to be doing and what our identity is and both of these i i believe come out of the, so the idea you can see from the title that i'm going to propose to you that advent and communion are these times of remembering and anticipating and kind of giving us a framework for that but both of these I, these views, these, these negatives, are come out of these characteristics of our human condition. We, we are forgetful people. Um, we, we need to be reminded of things. This is a, an effect of the fall. No matter how smart you are or what your IQ is, you still need to be reminded of things. That's why we have to rehearse and do memory cards or whatnot because the way the fall affects us, we forget. I've forgotten the things that I don't even remember I was not to forget, Right? Um, it's an effect of the fall upon us and uh, but we're also material people i mean we're not just uh we're not just spirits and we're not just cerebral beings we're not just brains on a stick right i mean we we touch and feel and uh, experience and but we're also very impatient people i mean we, we 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 want things now those of you that have kids or grandkids around they, they, you got to have it now. Why, why wait? Why, you know, or, or 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 we don't have the money for this. Well, let's just take out a mortgage so we can buy Christmas presents, right? You know, the second mortgage of the house to buy a, you know, whatever doll is the cool thing or whatever it is. Um, and we're impatient. And so I want to propose to you this morning that the Lord's table is the biblical solution to this tendency. And I also want to propose to you that Advent is the anecdote in this consumer, commercial season uh, to focusing on what Christ would want, God would want us to focus on. And so, the one is explicit from the Bible. We just read that the Lord's table is the biblical solution. And we're going to talk about that. But I also want to just introduce the idea of Advent to you. Because it might be a new new concept or idea for many of us. Um, uh, So, how are we supposed to celebrate it? And I, and I struggle with this, too. I always just celebrate Christmas and uh, Advent, Advent and then Christmas, ad, ad, Advent, the anticipation and Christmas, the time. And um, how are we supposed to, as the saying goes, keep Christ in Christmas or, or should we even celebrate it? I mean, I mentioned earlier, I mean, are, are we soul of scripture or are we not? Right. Are we violating that? Um, and, and it might be very disappointing to many of you in this room to realize that and find out that the early Christians in the scriptures and for the first couple hundred years of the Christian church did not celebrate a birthday of Jesus. It started in about the 300s. In fact, it was 326 that the church of Nativity was built in Bethlehem. So uh, that was the uh, church that Philip Brooks, who was an Episcopal priest from Philadelphia, was visiting in the 1800s and was so moved by worshiping at that church of Nativity in Bethlehem that he wrote a little ditty for his Sunday school program at his church in Philadelphia, a little town of Bethlehem. You might have known that one. And so, um, but the historical records are really mixed. Are these things from pagan origins? Are they from Christian origins? And so, what are we supposed to do? Um, and there are claims historically on both sides of it. The reformers celebrated the reform the the performers in the reformation era celebrated christmas i mentioned earlier that luther would preach verse by verse on these things in fact luther even his even secular historians that try to bring every pagan thing a, a, able towards christmas even secular historians will point that luther martin luther was the first one to put candles to light a christmas tree and of course they had used christmas trees in germany but he was one of the first ones to put lights on it and um so you can think of Uh, reformation ideals with that um it was also luther remember they hated everything to do with the veneration of saints and the cult of saints and as nice a guy and as well-meaning towards children as saint nicholas was he was not to be worshipped or revered or venerated And so it was December 6th, St. Nicholas Day, that was originally when gifts were given in remembrance of, to children, in remembrance of St. Nicholas. And, And Luther didn't like that. And he was trying to fight that. So the best way he could see to try to shift that focus off of venerating Nicholas, to put it on Jesus, who gave us all good gifts, was to propose that we shift gift giving from December 6th to December 25th. And so we do that. So... So should we or should we not? Well, I'm going to say there are at least, there are three ways people celebrate Christmas and there are at least two that no one in this room who, who claims to be a Christian should celebrate it. The first is we should not celebrate Christmas as Christ's Mass in the way the Roman Church would purport to do it. And we do not go where we see Jesus before an altar. It's a difference, but we we stand in front of you as a table, not an altar. It is made of wood, and that was just one of the ways that the reformers and those were differentiating high church and low church, whether it was a marble table or a wooden table. And the fact that we even call it the Lord's table would indicate that we're of a low church heritage, that we don't see this as re-crucifying Jesus when we observe the Lord's table. And we would not celebrate Christmas with a mass of Christ being crucified all over again before us and receiving uh, real blood and and body the second second way we should not celebrate would be in the secular materialist way that would we, we see all around us just wanting to just frivolity and drunkenness and craziness but then there's the question about the third about celebrating and remembering jesus birthday and the good things involved in having a a, a, a a time of family and there's questions on that and i'm just going to say this i believe it's an individual decision it's not a church decision it's not a, a holy day for the church. Uh, it is an individual decision. And Romans 14 tells us that, that, uh, that the church doesn't have authority over that. And so if you want to observe a day, observe a day. If you don't want to observe a day, don't, don't violate your conscience and don't force your conscience on somebody else. And don't judge others that might, um, on a matter that might not be clear in scripture. But these matters of what you do with this is, brings up this subject of Christ and culture and what's a Christian supposed to be. Jesus told us that we're to be separate from the world. We're not to be involved in its idolatry. But he also said, I'm not praying that you would be taken out of the world, but that you'd be in it, that you'd influence it, that you'd change it, that you'd be light and salt. And so, how are Christians supposed to deal with culture? In some places, we would say we'd stay away from it, we would infiltrate it, we would change it, we'd create our own culture um and, and uh, or influence the culture like uh maybe see in the 1800s particularly christianity influencing the broader culture and so um we going to be in the world but not of the world and whatever we come down on this we're all going to be inconsistent to some to some extent or another for instance um how many of you celebrate your birthday or your kids birthdays a bunch of pagans I mean, the only people that would celebrate the birth of someone would be Egyptian deities and Roman gods, right? So, are we all inconsistent here? How many of you are wearing a wedding ring? How many of you wished you were wearing a wedding ring? I'm just. Uh, uh, do you know it wasn't till the eighth century that Christians adopted that? That that was something that Egyptians did, and then Romans did to, as a shot sign of ownership, almost. And, of, of who, who they had control over. And so there are things that we're all... Or, what is today? Sunday, right? And tomorrow is Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Are you worshiping Odin on Wednesday? Woden, Wednesday? Or on, on Thursday, are you worshiping Thor? I mean, just because you watch the Avengers, I'm not saying that's worshiping Thor, but like um, some of you ladies are like, I really like Thursday. <laughs> but... um uh, okay. Um, but should we have different names of the week for Christians? Or how much of this is we realize at some point the pagan roots kind of get distanced and we just, we're in the world but not of it? And so these are questions we all need to ask at some point. And so I, I love that one of my heroes in the faith is, is, um, is Charles Spurgeon. Um, four foot something, 400 pounds, Baptist big mouth um uh he went back and forth and kind of had this love hate relationship with christmas for instance in um december 24th of 15 or 15 1854 he ended his sermon saying this now a happy christmas to you all it will be a happy christmas if you have god with you i shall say nothing to the day against festivities of the great birthday of christ we will tomorrow think of Christ's birthday. He's thinking, he remember he's preaching on Christmas Eve. And we shall be obliged to do it. And I am sure, however, sturdily we may hold to our thorough Puritanism. Remember, he was a big uh, proponent of the Puritans who did not celebrate Christmas. So let us keep the feast, not with the old laven, neither with the laven of malice and wickedness, but with the leaven of unleavened bread. And he went on to talk about this. Um, and, um, how our pastor if he wished them all a happy Christmas, and then in 1871 on Christmas Eve he preached the sermon called "The Joy Born in Bethlehem," where he starts with this is a famous statement. He start how you like this is a Christmas Eve sermon. How to start a Christmas Eve sermon on a positive note? Here's Spurgeon, 1871. We have no superstitious regard for times and season. Certainly, we do not believe in this present ecclesiastical arrangement called Christmas. First, because we do not believe in the Mass at all, but abhor it, whether it be said or sung in Latin or English. And secondly, because we have no scriptural warrant whatever for observing any day as the birthday of our Savior. And consequently, it's observance is superstitious because not of divine authority. Merry Christmas, Spurgeon. You know, you're like, there goes Mr. Humbug, there goes Mr. Grimm, right? You can hear the Muppets singing in the background, right? And um, so he goes on and then he says, but in the same sermon he says this, Nevertheless, since the current of men's thoughts is led this way just now, and I see no evil in the current itself, since it is lawful and even laudable to meditate on the incarnation of the Lord upon any day of the year, it cannot be in the power of other men's superstitions to render such a meditation improper for today. Regarding not today, let us nevertheless give God thanks for the gift of his dear son. So he's going back and forth, kind of this love hate. Don't you feel that confusion yourself? Sometimes you're like, man, we just made Christmas this crazy thing. And then other times you're like, tis the season to be jolly, you know? And, uh, um,. He strikes a balance in 1855. He says, this is the season of the year when whether we wish it or not, we are compelled to think on the birth of Christ. I told you it to be one of the greatest absurdities under the heaven to think that we are still any religion keeping the Christmas day. There's no probabilities whatsoever that our Lord and Savior was born on this day. An observance is purely popish origin. Doubtless, those who are Catholics have a right to hollow it. But I do not see how how a consistent Protestant can account it in the least sacred. However, I wish there were ten or a dozen Christmas days in the year, for there is work enough in the world, and little more rest would not hurt laboring people. Christmas Day is really a boon for us, particularly that enables us to assemble round the family hearth and meet our friends much once more. So basically he's saying, okay, the Puritans saw this, they were trying to stay away from anything of a Roman Catholic church, so they steered clear of it. And remember, Spurgeon is preaching in the 1800s in Victorian England when they're trying to regulate what the church does. So, of course, when you tell a Baptist you got to do church this way, they're like, "No, uh right? No way. So you're trying to stay away from that, dictates of it. And at the same time, he is... So he, he's not Buddy the Elf at all, but he's not the Grinch either. Um, so he oppo- he's opposed to forced holiday by Victoria, but he also breaks from the Puritans. Um, and he says how I am quite certain that all the preaching in the world will not put Christmas down, referring to Cromwell and the Puritans trying to squelch it out. He saw it as a great evangelistic opportunity. He saw it as a time to encourage family and charity. He said he loves it as a family institution. He called it Dickin, uh, uh, England's Brightest Day. And remember, this is the Dickens era where you would... Changing the idea of what Christmas was to be a charitable day, he urged employers to not withhold pay from employees on Christmas Day. In 1866 to 1876, the Metropolitan Tabernacle built um, two orphanages, and he and Susanna, his wife, every Christmas Day would visit when he was healthy, before when he was able to be in London in the winter. Um, would always visit those orphanages on Christmas Day. And he would always show up with a coin in his pocket for each child in the orphanage. So that's not the Grinch. So there's kind of this, we feel that in ourselves. Regardless of how it's observed, the incarnation of God's Son is one of the most central events in all of human history. That's literally how we mark our calendars, B.C., A.D., or the common era, or after the common era. But it's... Uh, so, um, this is such an important thing. And once someone grasps the incarnation of Jesus as God in flesh, the rest of the Christian message makes sense and all falls into place. That is the pinnacle of it. And so, it's so important to the church to, to recognize incarnation. So, what is Advent, then? The word Advent means coming, or expecting. So, it's a, it slows down and pushes us towards anticipation, and why? Because we tend to forget. That's why we need things like birthdays and anniversaries. And there are negatives to those things, but there's a lot of—it's a good reminder to emphasize a relationship. Some of you husbands say, "I don't need an anniversary date to tell me to love my wife," but it's very helpful. Okay. Partly like Valentine's Day. It's December and not February, so I'm going to say I don't really like Valentine's Day. And I don't really think I need some dead, venerated single guy to tell me how to love my wife, right? But it is a good reminder of romance. And any of you married guys, that is not the time to go all anti-holidays on Valentine's Day, okay? So um, it's a good reminder for us. And so anticipation is a theme of the Christian life. There's a delayed gratification that comes in the Christian life. There's that famous Stanford study of kids that they brought a bunch of children in and gave, and offered them a treat and said, You can have this treat right now, but if you wait, we'll give you a second treat later. Wait like 15 minutes. And then they studied and followed those children through life. The kids that were able to wait delayed gratification until later to get the second treat, when they followed them, they were the ones that did better on their SATs, got better jobs, had a stronger worth ethic because they were willing to not take the first treat but wait for later for the greater treat. And that's a theme of the Christian life. That goes for, sing- that goes for singleness, for finances. There's an important principle there for every area of life. Sexual activity, um, spending, everything, delayed gratification is better. And God has this idea built into the system. So Advent is this journey of the four weeks prior to Christmas of walking towards the manger. It's also a reminder that there's tension in life. Just like in the Magi, the, the gifts that they bring. They're good gifts. He's a king gold. But there's also things of myrrh that there's death involved in this. That this tension that we feel is that there is, there is pain in this journey of the Christian life. There's tension that Christians are caught in that already not yet, that Jesus has established his kingdom, he's rules and reigns, he's the authority, he is Lord, but we still live in a fallen world. That, that Jesus came, but he's not yet brought things, he's not yet come back. So there's this, this tension that we feel in this already not yet, and you feel this every day. Rejoicing in the past of what God's done, but also having a hopeful anticipation of what's yet to come in the future. There's this tension And this tension of hope and thankfulness and anticipation is something that changed. You think about this, how odd it would be for a group of rural, obscured people to look outside of themselves and want to change the whole world and reach the outside world. But that's really what Advent does. It takes this group of rural people in Palestine to look outside of themselves to see a world that needs to be reached. And you take this group of rural people from Galilee in Jerusalem that impact the whole world one day and that's what we're seeing here it's a countdown to Jesus so three three reasons in my opinion and this is this is not in the bible in my opinion why it's good to observe Ab- Ad- advent is that it connects us to the church in history the christians have been doing this since like the 5th and 6th century it helps us keep the focus on Jesus that delayed gratification of anticipation. And it's a countdown to Jesus, not to Santa or something like that. And so, although there are many pictures and songs and symbols and traditions surrounding the gospel and the advent of Jesus and all the things, whether it be ribbons, wreaths, stars, whatever, uh, nativities, there we would be remiss if we were not to emphasize on the first day of Advent the explicit New Testament sign of the covenant of God. And That is the lord 's table. It is a sign it, it, he, he says to do this it is a commandment, it is an ordinance, and so, like Christmas season, often Christians are confused and distracted about what they 're supposed to be doing in the Christian life, and this is when the lord 's table comes in and I, I almost guess if we were to take a quiz right now of, of what what are we supposed to be doing when we have the, have the lord 's table? What are you supposed to be thinking about I, I think there 's a lot of confusion on this and and uh, I've kind of been waiting for a while to be able to take some time and explain this. And we, know we do often do a little snippet, little thing before we observe the Lord's Table. But I wanted to take a little more time this morning. Uh, I learned a whole lot about this in a, uh, from Sinclair Ferguson earlier in 2017, and I wanted to share some of that with you all this morning because we don't want to diminish the way, the means that God wants to be remembered in the Scriptures. Jesus gave us a way that he wants us to remember him. And so when we come to the Lord's table, this is the occasion that is supposed to be something special for God's people. This is to be the event that those magical tingles and those feelings special, this is the event that that's supposed to come scripturally. And so I'm going to... You're not going to like this. I'm just going to say it anyway. If you get more feelings about a holiday event or a ritual or a family tradition than you do from the, what the Bible says is the ordinance from the scriptures of how you're supposed to remember Jesus, I'm going to propose that you need to change your thinking. You need to do some analyzing of yourself. If you get more of those, Ooh, you know, we lit the candles and sang Silent Night than you do when you observe the Lord's table. You might have some priorities mixed up. Okay, and so what are we supposed to be? What What is this meal supposed to be, this meal before us this morning? If we're honest, the Lord's table is kind of an odd thing. I mean, you ever wondered, like, what if someone had never known anything about Christianity? They just get off the boat. They've never exposed to Christianity. Maybe they're an alien. They grew up, you know, on um, District 13 or something like that. And they come here, and they see us observe this meal what would they say? Boy, those people don't eat much, right? You know, you call that a meal? Um, but what it is, it's a little drama that God has to remind us how much He loves us and what He's done for us. It's a gospel sign. And that, that word sign is important because God has worked throughout the, 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 the biblical redemption and the storyline of the Bible in things called covenants. Sets up a covenant with Abraham, a covenant with Noah, a covenant with David. And he calls this, as we read earlier, the new covenant. And so with Noah, he makes a sign of the covenant. What is that? The rainbow. As long as you see this as a promise, of God's going to keep his promise, he's not going to destroy the world with water. He makes a covenant with Abraham that he's going to make his, his offspring like the sand of the seas and the stars in the sky. And he has a sign of that, and that is circumcision. He makes a covenant with David. And it's going to be that there's going to be a throne of David that's never going to be unoccupied by an offspring of David. And Christ is ruling on that throne. And so there's um, we have signs of covenants. I'm wearing a sign of a covenant that I made with Jamie on my finger. A wedding ring. A sign doesn't add anything to it. but It's a sign. It's a picture. It's a seal. And so when you have the Lord's table, it is a sign of the promise that you are a sinner, and whoever believes on him you shall have everlasting life. Every time you see and observe the Lord's table, it's a, it's a sign of that promise that if you will believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life. It's a reminder of that. It's a sign of that. It's a picture of that. It's kind of in Revelation where it says, If any man hear my voice and knock, I, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if you'll let it, I'll come in and sup with you. It's to the church. Remember that's not an evangelistic text. that's a church text. Jesus offers this that you have this gift of salvation. here's this ring. come, remember this. And so some might say, hey you know I don't really need these signs and all these external things. I, I'm just going to take the word. But the problem is God gave you a visible sign. We're not just material people. We're not just spiritual. We're not just cerebral. We're not just brains. We're, there's something we can see and touch and a sign of that covenant. I can tell Jamie, I mean, we can stand and say words in the covenant, but when we put, put rings and exchange rings, and there's touch and signs of that, of that bond, it means something. And so here's what God is doing is putting bread and cup and saying, this is how I love you. This is a sign of my love for you and my, my gospel. This is a gospel feast. And C.S. Lewis said, there is no good trying to be more spiritual than God. God never meant you to be a purely spiritual creature. That is why he uses material things like bread and wine. And we may think this is rather crude and unspiritual, but God does not. He invented eating. He likes matter. He invented it. And so, you might say, "Well, I don't need signs. I don't need all this external stuff, the Lord's table." Try that with your wife. Try that with your husband. We're not going to touch There's never going to be signs of affection that we have a relationship here. How long is that going to last? Don't ever put your arm around her, never hold her hand. Or maybe you're working and you're in a business relationship, but you never shake hands. There's never signs of... After a while, you wonder what's going on with the relationship. God put this sign, the Lord's table, that we would... This language, it would communicate this reality. So what is it? And we we go to the text here. In chapter 10, verse 16, I want to point out a few things here. And that was a much longer introduction than I wanted to have. Man, you guys don't have lunch plans, do you, right? first one, it says here, this is a blessing. Verse 16, it says, this is the cup of blessing that we bless. It is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we drink is not a participation in the body of Christ. So, This is a blessing. The the nature of a blessing. Now we know what a blessing is. We'll say if someone sneezes, you say, I'll oh, bless you. Or, you know, if you're in the south and you want to say something bad to someone, say, Well bless their heart, then you say something bad about them, right? But or if someone's you know, if someone's sick, we say, Oh bless you. And what we're meaning is we because we know something deep down that there's a curse that comes with something, and a blessing is the opposite of that curse. You know, kinda like the old the ring around the rosy, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. You know, that, that's a song from the plague, right? That you know, and so people they, they would go around and say, oh, bless you, bless you, bless you. You know, uh, the, the cursing of your health must be a blessing or whatnot. And so we have this idea of what this means. But right here, this meal, it, this is a blessing. It is a sign that you are not under the curse anymore as a believer. You're under God's blessing inside the gospel. This is a picture that you are blessed of God. And your blessing is that you have Christ. In you, the hope of glory. It's a blessing. You have been blessed, and this is the sign of your blessing. So, take it, eat it, drink it. Remember. And secondly, in verse sixteen, it says it's a participation. That word "participation" is the same word where we get communion or quinonia or fellowship. This a participation in the body and blood of Jesus. Uh, The gospel inside the gospel, we are united with Jesus. We're Together with Him, buried with Him, risen with Him. We're in union with Him. And part of that means you are united. When you came to know Christ, you forsook how you turned from idols to serve the living and true God. This is a reminder that you are in communion. You're in participation with Jesus. So like when you got married, if depending on what your vows were like, often they included something like and forsaking all others. So when you are in Jesus, that means there are others that are not. So you can you don't get married and then act like you're not married. So the Lord's table is a reminder that you're a Christian. You're in a participation with Jesus, so don't act like you're not bound to him. So are there idols that you're going back? Are you are you are you not being true to him, to the vows of and so in this event, you're reaffirming your vows. You're, you're not, often we'll say someone goes to camp or they go to a meeting and they redecorated their life for the Lord. I mean rededicated their life to the Lord. Um, but, but really, that's what the Lord's table is. Is that we're reaffirming every time. I am His. He is mine. This is the event for that. He's led the way. He's, he's committed Himself to us. He died for us. And then jump down to verse 24 of chapter 11. He says, this do in remembrance of me. It's a memorial. It's something we commemorate in memory of me. So what are you supposed to be thinking about when you observe the Lord's table? You're supposed to be thinking about what Christ did for you. And our problem is is we're we're so bent on ourselves, so we're thinking about ourselves and thinking about ourselves and even our own spirituality and whether we're worthy or whether we got this right or that right or things like this. And what the gospel is is always looking outside of us, not inside of us, to look to Christ. And so the Lord's table is a reminder for us to look to Christ and remind... So this gospel-centered thing was not something that a bunch of young guys figured out in the late 20th century. Okay. This, yeah. Um, The this is something that God built in that the church is to be gospel centered. And as oft as you do this, you you're reminded of what Christ did for you in the gospel. It's all centered in that. So what are you supposed to be thinking about when we have the little table? Look to Christ, and it's something that we're to repeat. He says, "As oft as you drink, and as oft as you eat." This is a rhythm. This is a ritual. That is to be good. So, how long are we at Emmanuel going to do this? Keep this ritual up? It says until He comes. We're doing this until we do it with Him. So, we're, we're, so and then there's churches can debate. Well, how often is often? Weekly, monthly, quarterly? We do it monthly here. It just says often. So, how often is often? Often, right? Doesn't, you know, we can pick and we, we can we can make some judgment calls on our own on that. But then the text says it's a proclamation. So verse 26 says, as oft as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're proclaiming it. Now, that's not talking about the sermon. That's not, I mean, I, I think you ought to have sermons and long sermons, obviously, right? You know, and, and, but it doesn't, it's not talking about the sermon. Like when you do this, you're proclaiming. So who's doing the preaching here? Who's doing the proclaiming? The congregation is. So when you're, when you're taking that tray and passing it around and passing it down as the men come and you pass it, one, we're, we're proclaiming to one another this is the gospel. This is what this looks like. This is what binds us together. And this is one of the reasons why I think it's good that we make these services, and the, the Lord's table, open to outsiders and unsaved to come and we'll observe. I mean, it's for Christians, but it's something you can watch and observe. And when we have the Lord's table, particularly with the young ones, you parents know this, this is when those conversations often come up. Are you saved? What's it mean to be saved? How do you get to do that? We're proclaiming the gospel with this. So we didn't need some marketing method to come up and tell us how to have a purpose-driven church or how to be an evangelistic church. Jesus built it into His church to proclaim the gospel by observing the ordinances. So we proclaim it. Here's the gospel. And then it says there, there's an anticipation that comes with it. And this is where the idea of Advent and waiting says... Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Or keep this up until he comes. I, you know, my favorite type of food, which is sad to say, which is why I need to keep my knees so I can jog, is appetizers. I love the greasy fried appetizers. They're terrible for you, but I love them. And when you go to a restaurant, you want any appetizers, right? And um, I, I was running at the VA and I was talking to this guy. And I was trying to witness to him. And he worked it out back. And so he gave me this card for a free Bloomin' Onion. So it pays to witness. Yeah, I mean, it's helpful to witness. So so I go and get a Bloomin' Onion and it's like six million calories, right? But that's awesome, right? The appetizers are what comes before the meal. And when we look at the Lord's table, we're looking at an appetizer for a meal that's yet to come. We're look, we're, it's kind of like the rehearsal dinner for the, 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 the wedding feast yet to come. And Jesus provides this for us. And then the final thing is he tells us here that we're not to take this unworthily. Verse 27, whoever drinks and eats the cup of the drinks of the, the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of condemning the body and blood of the Lord. does it mean to take the body and blood in an unworthy manner? I want to clear this up because I think a lot of Christians, myself included, struggle with this. There is no one in this room who is worthy to take the cup. No one here is worthy. The only worthiness we have is that we would be wearing the garments of the bride of Christ, the righteousness of Jesus, that we come by the blood. That we come, we're part of his bride, we're wearing the garments that he's trying to iron out and make us look better. We come that way. And I think it also means that we don't take it in an unworthy manner, that we don't take it without thinking about him. We don't take it in a flippant way or a silly way or just trite and trivially or routine. Some people might do this in a flippant way, or oh, we use potato chips and soda and have communion. And then other people, it might just be they take it unworthily because it's just ritual. It's just vain repetition, it's just what you do. You get dressed up, you do this, you pass this, you say this, you pray this. You know, to not do it in an unworthy way. And so, are you in Christ? Are, are you coming? You, you have the wedding garments of being in Christ, but have, have, you've been living in the last month and getting a lot of mud on those wedding garments. So, so when a bride gets ready for the wedding, she's not saying, like, I'm the most perfectly looking bride ever. How many of you brides thought that, that you were the most beautiful bride ever? No. That's why you paid someone to make your pictures look better than you really did. Right? Right? Um, that's why we, you know, we're look, but, we know it, but we're but you know it. But at the same time, we're thinking, I know I'm not perfect, but I want to be pleasing to him or she or he or whatever. The guys do some push-ups before you go out there for the wedding or whatever. You know, you want to look as good as you possibly can. That there's a there's a, there's a, there's this type of examination that when we come to the Lord's table that we're like you know I know I'm not perfect but I want to I want to get the things out of my life I want to be when he I, I don't want to I want to be caught with mud on my face when he shows up I, I don't want so if there's things in my life that I've been participating in or doing anything, this is the time to say God forgive me I I'm, I want to forsake that I want to get right about that and so there's this aspect of this examination. We are forgetful people. We are impatient people. And there's this already not yet tension that when we observe the Lord's table, we're remembering what he did, but yet we're anticipating what he's yet to do. And this is this idea that comes. And so these thousands of messages, what you are what you look like, you are what you have done, you are how you parent, or you are what you look, you are what you wear, you are what you drive, you are where you go, you are what you do, you are what you have... This is a message that says, no, there's nothing more that you can do to make God love you. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. That's what this message is. That's what this meal is. And so with that, you're invited to come and sup and partake in the Lord's table. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for this meal and how we would remember you with it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing an Advent song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and then we're going to prepare to have the Lord's table.